It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Today on Trailblazers, we chat to a woman who is changing lives on a global scale. Recognised for her work in health promotion, sport for development and social change, she has an innovative community-based approach for working with disadvantaged groups. Founded Sport for Social Change program Football United, helped develop the Creating Chances Enterprise and involved in many groups in the Common Gold movement. We managed to catch her today. Our trailblazer is Anne Bundy-Bruce. Welcome, how are you? I can't believe we've managed to catch you. <laughs> Excuse me for my chuckle, but I love that <laughs> intro music. It's one of my favorites. I'm fine. Thanks, Steph, for having me. Now, I touched on a small part of what you do, and I do say that was just scraping the surface. Can you expand on how you would describe yourself? Oh, wow. Um, passionate about positive social change, wishing the world was a better place, and doing whatever I can to make it happen. And what is your key focus right at the moment? Ah, my key focus is Football for Good, which um, we're doing through Football United and uh, the Common Goal Movement internationally. And we're working towards some super big fun projects for World Cup 23. Well, we love a fun project. Uh, I'm going to break down all those different aspects of what you do, but can you start with Football United? What is it? How do you describe it? So Football United is a program which we run out of the University of New South Wales, and we use Football Plus. So in addition to just, not just football, but in addition to football, we integrate life skills, positive social change messaging, um, health and well-being, peace building, all sorts of uh, additional things within the football scene, and we focus on uh, youth with a particularly low socioeconomic uh, diversity backgrounds. We work across Australia and in the country of Myanmar. Well, well, you mentioned University of New South Wales, and I know you've got a super fancy title in what your uh, your attachment to them is. But can you tell us how the program started? Was that a oh, yeah. university I initiative, or was it an Anne Bundy Bruce one? <laughs> well, it was me. Um, <laughs> And um, I got into the university by chance. I'm not an academic. I'm not uh, by any long shot uh, attracted to research and convolutions of all that. But when we moved here from France in 2002, I met an incredible professor who was doing health and peace building. And I basically said, uh, you need a coordinator. Can I have a job? And um, <laughs> he gave me a job. And the current head of health promotion was a great friend and she was two years from retirement and she 
had a grand plan for me uh, uh, replacing her. It was great. We were doing health and peace building across the Asia Pacific. I was teaching health promotion. I was loving it, except they kept bugging me to do a PhD. And <laughs> like I said, I'm not academic like that. And it was scared to pieces, I would like to say, scared shitless. Um, I, I put it off, put it off until they finally said, look, ultimatum, you have to do a PhD to keep your job. I had just two years prior moved four children, a husband and a dog from Paris. And um, the thought of being out of a job was, plus I loved what I was doing. Mm. So I thought back to 1998 when France won the World Cup and Les Bleus are my team of uh, original love. I love lots of others. <laughs> anyway, long story short, I was on the Champs-Élysées the day of the victory parade. There were three million people from all walks of life, all colors, all sizes, all shapes, all everything, just there to celebrate this multicultural team that brought mm -hmm. them the World Cup. And the power was incredible. And from that moment in 98, everywhere I went, I was noticing the power of football and the passion, the global passion. And I was working in peace building, so I was getting really um, a firsthand introduction to refugees and the horrific um, impact of war and refugees, communities at that time in Sydney, there was a lot of challenges. We've come a long way, even if we haven't gotten as far as we'd like to. Back mm. then, it was really something. So I thought, hey, the cool thing about academia is you can research anything. You just have to write the right kind of protocol. <laughs> so I thought, here we go. I'll do my PhD on can football help refugee families and children settle more comfortably, more positively in Australia. And that was my research. And I have a whole PhD on it, and that started Football United. Wow, you engineered that beautifully to become uh, <laughs> Dr. Anne. <laughs> so doctorate really in, in football and, and peace building. I love that term, peace building. I've not heard that related to actual fields of study. Yeah. Uh, how is it? Well, how do they dedicate their time? Is that about uh, researching the issues or how to better acclimatise people who've been affected by conflict? All of the above. Um, my particular area of work is what you would call action research. Um, I had a really interesting experience in Sri Lanka when we were doing some of our peace building research, and it made me decide then and there that the only kind of research I ever did would do would be action research. And that means we work with communities, we design programs, we design uh, um, not just activities, but whole programs which have a, a goal of an outcome of some sort, and we work together to make it happen, and the, as a research, you follow it through. And my specific area is autoethnographic because I'm an actor within it. So autoethnography is like ethnography, but you are engaged, and so you analyze your own engagement as well as the engagement of everybody else. Wow. Yeah. I, I, you've, you've got me lost for words there. That's <laughs> <laughs> extraordinary. It's so huge, though. How do you decide where you're going to focus? Well, my focus is particularly on um, young people. My focus is particularly on football and its impacts and its possibilities. And um, a subset of all that is football and women, of course, and girls. So, I mean, you're right, it's huge. But, um, and even within all that, it's still huge. 
Um, at the moment, I'm focusing on trying to bring an international festival to Australia next year during the World Cup, and we can talk about that if you want. Um, we're still working in Myanmar in spite of the coup in a very careful way, and we've had some amazing international support for that work. Can I ask how dangerous it gets for you? Oh, not me personally. Not any. I mean, no. I I had to make a choice about that because, mm. I, as I said, I have four children, a husband, and now I have many animals. And um, <laughs> You've moved on from just the one dog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had to make the choice, even though part of me is just burning, to get back in, into the action, and especially when we see things like Myanmar and Ukraine. But I, I realized that, one, I have a responsibility to my immediate family to stay alive as long as possible. Mm. Two, I'm one of those diehard joie de vivre people, and I want to stay around as long as possible. <laughs> and I feel like if I stay around, I can keep trying to make impacts. So I, I work as hard as I can with people actually on the front lines. Um, that being said, I was in Myanmar until the coup. I did mm. go back multiple times, and what a beautiful country and what a tragedy. Yeah, I indeed. And I must say the world is a better place for having you in it alive. So I think <laughs> your, your approach to that is probably the best one. Do you have KPIs, if you like, in what you do? How do you know if you're having an impact? Oh, sure. I mean, there are many researchy, convoluted processes we go through to measure the impact. Um, is researchy the official term? <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell you, NSW. <laughs> um, you know, so there's there's all sorts of processes with which you do monitoring and evaluation in this work. And in matter of fact, it's a criteria of any international grant or any national grant to be able to show your impact. And interestingly, so there are there are surveys, there are questionnaires, there are interviews, there's participant observation, there's tracking over time. And I just had a phenomenal uh, PhD student last year uh, who published his PhD and he looked at Football United 12 years on. And we've got a number of papers actually that document from the standpoint of our participants, mm. the extent that Football United impacted their lives. And it's it's pretty impressive. That's super. So you're actually getting research on your research. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's brilliant. You've, you've organized that absolutely beautifully. <laughs> At, how about the face-to-face -face impact or, or what you see personal and live in the impact you make? That, that must be a, a huge factor for you. It's it's phenomenal. One of our our first three girl participants back in 2007, they were refugees from South Sudan. One of them is now doing her doctorate. She's now doing her doctorate. We actually got her uh, a scholarship at UNSW to do her bachelor, and she went on from there. Wow. Um, she also runs her own ethical fashion company for um, diverse young women. She runs a ethical pageant where she enables these women who are participants in the pageant to access ongoing education, etc. The other has just got her nursing degree. Just quite incredible. That's just one little of example. I mean, some of these some of these young people have done just so much. And another really cool thing is two years ago, pre-COVID, I was invited to uh, a wedding from um, at two different times, actually, of our young cohort that we had involved in from 2010 to about 2014. And this table next to the table I was sitting at during the party, and these guys all got up and one by one came over and said, thank you. I met you 
a month after I arrived in Australia, and thanks to you, my life is way different than it might have been, and thank you, and it's just stuff like that. And one last anecdote. In 2010, we went to the World Cup in South Africa with Common Goal uh, Movement, and they made a movie about us. It's called Passport to Hope, and it aired on Fox Bio, and it was a two-part series. The day after the first part was aired, we were up at the Sydney Academy of Sports running a camp, and one of the groundsmen came tootling over in his little, his little truck, and he said, excuse me, excuse me, and I said, yes, and he goes, thinking maybe we're, you know, not treating the grounds right or something. <laughs> he goes, I want to thank you. I saw your movie last night. I was an Italian immigrant in the 50s, and I wish something like what you are doing had been happened there. The kids bullied me to the extent that they used to take my bags and throw them on top of the school roof, and my father one day had to leave his job to come to the school to sort things out to defend me. And I just was blown away. So we've got, yeah, I mean, that's what keeps me going. And if you look at the Football United YouTube channel, we've got, uh, I don't know, more than 100 video clips and songs and this and that. And every time I feel like I'm, it's getting too hard, I, I go back and either I go to one of the programs and I just immerse myself with the kids or I watch one of these beautiful videos and I just get the motivation back. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Trailblazer today is Anne Bundy Brewston, and you've spoken about the impact you've had on people that have migrated to Australia, and uh, well, you've had that experience yourself. We can tell from your accent that you're potentially not born in downtown North Sydney, where we're chatting at the moment. Uh, tell me about your upbringing. Ah, I'll try to be quick. Um, <laughs> We've got all the time in the world. I was born in. Uh, the state of Wisconsin in the U.S. Oh, Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, that was one of my most favorite books. I read every single one of them. I watched all the TV shows. I really wanted to be Laura Ingalls. <laughs> I really identified with her. I used to play Prairie Girl when I was little. But also, home of the Green Bay Packers. Of course. <laughs> and I am a diehard Packer fan, and I have one share of the Packers, as do my children. Anyway... I was uh, your average middle-class upbringing, but I was in a really wonderful uh, community where um, education was considered absolute priority. And also, believe it or not, I never was made to feel that as a girl child, I couldn't do anything anybody else wanted to do. I mean, I wanted to be an astronaut at one point in time. I was really empowered. We were all really empowered in sports and in everything else. And... Um, I didn't necessarily excel in many sports. I actually was a synchronized swimmer, among other things. Oh, artistic swimming, yeah. no less. <laughs> At one point, I could swim two Olympic hundreds without taking a breath. Wow. Anyway, I, oh, I, I was impacted by the human rights movement in the States, by the Vietnam War, which, when I was a child, was starting to be um, broadcast. Uh, long story short, as long as I can remember, I wanted to build peace. It just... But I didn't know how to do it. So I went off to college. I got a liberal arts degree and a degree in teaching French because it was easy and I liked to play and I didn't want to study too hard. <laughs> went to France as part of my study and I met a bunch of young people coming back from Africa who were doing the American Peace Corps, which is a volunteer. It's like the AVI in Australia, but mm -hmm. you go for two years. I just That was it. I went back, finished my degree and went off to Africa and the country of Mauritania. 
and worked in primary health care development for two years and human resources development for two years. Met this extraordinarily wonderful French man who I dragged back to the States to do an MPH and then we moved to France. <laughs> As you do. Um, and in France, I was on the front line of the HIV movement in the very beginning, prevention, care, etc. And that was phenomenal. Uh, it, was one of, it was the most extraordinary time of my life. For a, uh, That's a whole other chapter. But from there, I went on to become scientific and technical director to an international network in health promotion. That's where I met all these amazing Australians. And after 18 years in France, I said to my husband, you know, we should have an English living experience. How about we check out Australia? The people I work with are so amazing. And he looked at me and said, sure, go find a job. Well, I already had one lined up. <laughs> so there we go. And in 2002, it's our 20-year anniversary this year, four children, a beautiful golden retriever, and my wonderful husband and I moved to Australia. How beautiful and, and happy anniversary to you. Uh, <laughs> the, the Bundy part, and for our listeners, that's B-U-N-D-E, and I was convinced you're Bundebrust. I thought that was all all French, but the second half is your your husband's surname. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Right. Yeah, because I started my my uh, career as Anne Bundy, and I thought I'm not dropping this. Nobody's going to know what happened to me because that was pre-internet, by the way. <laughs> Shows how old I am. Um, so I, I combined the two, and I can tell you, uh, as a as a woman, I'm proud I did that. But it makes a mouthful for people. Oh, it does make your name very memorable, though. I can uh, <laughs> tell you that once you've seen it, you don't forget. And, and equally, and once someone's met you, they, they don't forget either. Uh, that's an extraordinary synopsis, if you like, of, of your background. And if we can just unpick that back to the start. You're one of how many siblings? Seven. Right. Uh, did any of them choose the same path as you did? Um, no. And my mom always says she doesn't know where I came from. And I said, I came from you. Um, and if you take a look at what you gave me in life, I mean, my parents did everything to make all of us have opportunities. No, I had an artist brother, a, a singer brother, a lawyer, a teacher, um, a Ducati specialist, and um, another, another um, he's not in academia, he's in communications. That is a hugely diverse range of, of occupations yeah. and interests, isn't it? And you would have been separated from them for some time because of COVID, but I believe you did get back there. <laughs> How was the reunion? So for your listeners, I went back because my mother was turning 90 and we took her to a Green Bay Packer game because she loves the <laughs> Packers. And this little lady at 90 years old, and she was incredible. It was phenomenal. And just being back together with everybody was a... Uh, it was just, I was so excited that everybody on the plane saw me and they thought, wow, this is really cool because she's so excited all the time. <laughs> yeah, little did they know that you're actually excited all the time. <laughs> That's wonderful that you got back though and, and were able to have a reunion with them. Your family here in Australia, uh, four children, uh, girls or boys? Two of each. Oh, geez, you're very well balanced. Oh, I mean, I'm lucky. Do all of them have an active interest in what you do or is this your Oh, fantastic, thing? yes. So my li when I went to see the Les Bleus in 98, I took my then eight-year-old son. He went on to become an avid footballer. And um, when we started Football United, we had no money. It was all just volunteer. And I said, he was 14 at the time. I said, Florian, I need a coach. Come on, can you come help me? And he, uh, to his credit, so they have all been involved, every single one of them, from my husband all down. One of my sons, Theo, um, actually works for Creating Chances of Football United. 
and he's doing an MBA at UNSW on social impact. Um, they've all been involved, and they're all doing in their own way something. Um, so yeah, it's pretty cool. That's amazing, and, and I think it's uh, probably wonderful for the people you work with to see that your whole family is engaged in that space. And I think it also, perhaps, do you think for you as a parent uh, helps you with empathy for for these mothers who've been transplanted and, and oh, are trying to settle in their families? Absolutely. I, I, it's just heartbreaking, and I can't believe in 2022 this garbage is still going on, and I don't see any sign of it diminishing, and it's just... Uh, it's unacceptable, and you know there are other people that say it way more eloquently me, than me. But uh, we can't, we we just can't sit by and let this happen. It's just, it's just unacceptable. It's not humane. What's? I, I don't know how people. I don't know how the people that perpetrate this stuff can can stand looking in the mirror. Maybe they don't. Maybe that's how they do it. Perhaps. Uh, when we look at your background, what were your first thoughts when you arrived in Australia? Did you, you'd already chosen clearly to come to Sydney? Yes. Um, I actually originally had an offer in Melbourne and um, my husband didn't want to live in Melbourne because he thought it was too much like Bordeaux and he, he wasn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's exactly what I think of when I'm in Melbourne. <laughs> I don't think so either, but hey, um, we did have lovely friends and I, I mean, I, I love Sydney, the beaches, the sparkle, the everything. It was interesting, though. We were super excited. When we came 2002, the weather was glorious, like it is today, mm. not like it has been in the last few months. But um, it was also hard, though. I mean, I'm an English speaker, and this helped me when I started working with refugees as well. Um, I couldn't understand what people were saying to me. I mean, the <laughs> accent was crazy, and everything looked kind of the same. I never got off at the right train station for about the first six months. I got off at North Sydney thinking I was a central. Um, <laughs> So it was, <laughs> and it was very, very, very different. And the um, the school system is extremely different from anything I'd ever experienced. And this is one of the things where I started thinking, should I take the plunge to do this refugee football program? And I thought, if it was that hard for me, you know, uh, an educated white middle class woman who's traveled all over the world who speaks the language, sort of, um, how must it be for these? Um, people who don't speak the language, who have gone through all this trauma. I mean, I don't know how people, I don't know how they do it. And I and I, I think back to when we were working with Afghan women who came at the end of last year and um, every single refugee that comes, that's lucky enough to get out, I just don't know how they keep going every single day. I don't. Some of those stories are, are both heartbreaking and so inspiring yeah. about the, the internal strength and, and how they do survive and, and not just day to day but go on to have these uh, incredible lives that they build for themselves yeah. in somewhere so far from home. Uh, we spoke uh, in our first segment about the Italian guy that spoke to you and said that you know he'd been bullied at school and, and all that sort of thing because he was a migrant. Did you feel that Australia was casually racist when you came here? Oh yeah, oh, more than that. I remember my kids, especially I saw it mostly through my kids. One, my children, um, with the exception of one, were all bullied to varying degrees, and I think lots of the kids didn't even know they were bullying them, but they were. Um, we, I won't name the name of the club, but we started in nippers, and the kids were, they didn't know anything about life-saving exercises, and they, they, they were not made welcome to be welcome at all. The parents were, but the kids just were very... Um, 
just was not nice to them. And, mm. But also, one of my sons came home and he said, Mom, why aren't there any black people in Australia? I don't see any anywhere. And so it opened up a lot of conversations with the kids. But yeah, it wasn't easy, interestingly. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. We're chatting with Anne Bundy-Bruce, founder of Football United, amongst many, many other programs that she's helped develop over the years and an extensive career, which we've been hearing about. Uh, and we've just been discussing the, the casual racism, if you like, in Australia. It's something that makes me uh, very sad. The, we're born not racist. So they're clearly learning it somewhere. And uh, I, I just worry that with Australia, sometimes we're, we're not progressing. Uh, are we getting better? Are we changing? What's your thoughts on that? Oh, gosh. I, I've gone up and down on that, actually. And um, I, I thought we were, particularly as I watched the progress of the kids I've worked with and things like that. And I think I have to say, I think in football, it's a very different beast now than it was when I was starting. And there's lots of stories about that. So I think that um, in some instances, yes, we have. I think we're more vocal and we're talking about things more, but I, th I think we still have a long way to go. And I, th I get very worried um, because if you look at what happened in the States, I mean, I do love Australia. We chose to live here mm. and stay here and our children have chosen to live here and we still love our two countries of origin. Well, France, the States, I'm, I'm appalled. That's not the country I grew up in in some senses. Mm. Um, it, it, the division and the, anyway, we're talking about Australia. I always say we have to be very vigilant. We have to, we have to keep going. We have to keep trying. We have to work every single day. And I, I just like to say a hats off to Craig Foster, who was always very supportive of us in Football United. It's good to have big spokespeople out there helping to draw attention because that's what we need. We need, you know, like yourself, we need people who are, are out there and who have a, pr a presence and a platform to get things out there and to keep them in the awareness of people. But as we call ourselves a, a diverse and multicultural country, I think it's worth, you know, everyone taking a step back every now and then to have a look at what that actually means because these people you're working with to assimilate into communities, I can only imagine that they must feel not just being torn away from the homes that they know, but the fact that they are coming to somewhere very foreign. And I'm, I'm keen to know how you manage to assimilate them. Do you keep them in their own community so they bring a piece of home? Or do they have to become something that we call Australian? Because oh, I no, don't even no, know no, what no, that no. is. <laughs> so um, our language, our medium is football. Mm -hmm. um, and with Creating Chances, it's sport in general. And I'll tell you an interesting thing about Creating Chances. But we provide a, a venue. Most of the time, it's after school now on school grounds. Often it's in school. It, it, we started in a local community in Blacktown, and we still do community programs. So what we do is we run the programs where the kids are. Everybody is welcome. And um, like I said, our language is sports and football and what we can do to bring people together and learn and grow through it. And we try to go as many places if we have the capacity to grow. But also we have a, um, an empowerment and capacity building built within. And so we offer opportunities for any kid that wants to, to get coach training and facilitator training to join the organization. At this point in time, we have 
had more than 60 young people who came from our program become coaches, become some of them have like their C licenses in football. Mm -hmm. um, and if you look at the um, if, if you look at the facilitators and coaches, including Sanchez and Football United, they're as diverse as communities they work in. And and that's what it's that's what it's all about. In creating Chances, we actually created this amazing um, thing called the World Traditional Games. And for six months, the staff researched traditional games, and we set up a festival that runs over a couple hours. And um, the, the kids learn a traditional game, and it's a round robin. It's like an Olympics of the traditional games. <laughs> and it's fantastic. That is so gorgeous. I love that. You've mentioned creating chances a, a couple of times. Can you just come back and, and talk about creating chances and what that is? Okay, so um, with Football United, uh, back between 2010 and 2013, we developed a whole bunch of leadership and life skills trainings for our young uh, participants so that in addition to the uh, football for good football they were playing, they were also getting workshops in all sorts of different things, team building, communication, lot, it's a whole, it's a huge sector now. Um, and in 2013, interestingly, we launched our first results of serious ARC, Australian Research Council uh, supported research. We launched the results, um, irrefutable results of the power of our program. Um, and interestingly enough, for some reason, I don't know if the government entities in question thought that, oh, we'd done our job and it was done and dusted because we had such good results. But we lost two huge grants that year. And we found ourselves from you know a comfortable operating uh, capacity to being really in dire straits. So our, um, one of our staff said, I think we need to package this and set up a social enterprise, which we did. And interestingly enough, we started trying to sell the packages to um, to the schools um, in addition to the football program. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, since we were now not offering them for free, it became harder and harder to market it. Um, nevertheless, we kept going. And in 2015, the Rugby Youth Foundation, which was a similar organization to Football United, was contracting us for some of these. And we started talking. We said, let's join forces and let's set this up as a social enterprise and we'll join forces together. And that became official in 2015. And we started with a handful of schools. And we're now, we've got a contract with the New South Wales Department of Education. We're working in Melbourne. We're working in, oh, more than 65 communities across New South Wales and um, Melbourne running. And we have a suite of five different programs. So we reach the kids from year five all the way up through the end of high school. Extraordinary scope and, and reach in what you do. And then if you look even farther afield in that, I've had the absolute privilege of being involved for five minutes with one of your programs. In fact, it was an hour. It was fantastic. It was one of the best hours of my life. Uh, talking to women around the world who have uh, introduced programs for, for social change. And that was part of a, a six-week leadership program. So you're not just operating in Australia. And, and do you think that in, in some regards, COVID's actually been an opportunity because... You've, you've got programs now that are reaching uh, people overseas in a real and effective way because they've had to, because you can't fly them in. Yes. That being said, we were doing all that well before COVID, um, and it was face-to-face. -face. So we've been engaged in 
our, our big project for next year in the, during the Women's World Cup is a manifestation of one of those we can talk about. So we developed the Sportswoman for Change approach before COVID, but yes, COVID has helped us not only with that, but I also do uh, workshops on social enterprise and sport for good programs. Um, and actually, I was surprised at how connected you can be to these programs. I didn't think they were going to be as intense and as wonderfully warm. And the last, the one you were talking about, which by the way was supported by DFAT, which is lovely, the, the last session, nobody wanted to get off the screen. You know, and <laughs> you, could, you could feel the warmth and you could feel a virtual hug going across the, the world with these programs. And um, yeah, I'd like to do more of those because they're so powerful and they're so empowering and, and they're fun too. You know, we love what we do, so that's always cool. I love hearing all the stories about what people are doing all around the world and you can see the smiles on the faces on your screen and all of a sudden you feel that everyone is really engaged and uh, I guess for want of a better word that everyone does have a common goal and that's exactly what we're going to talk about next up because common goal is something that really fascinates me. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Dr. Anne Bundy-Baroostas chatting to us today and and I think everything fits so neatly under the term common goal because everything you're talking about is people striving to get a positive outcome in the same way. But common goal is actually a thing. Well, common goal is now a movement and common goal was the brainchild of the most extraordinary man, Jürgen Griesbeck, who was the founder of the Street Football World Network. By the way, there's a book that, if your listeners are interested in all of this, called Radical Football, just out. It tells the story of how all of this happened, and it's incredible. The idea is we want to change the face of football, maybe the attitude of football, if you would, so that football for good would not be a small movement of 200 organizations and their staff and people, but the way football is done. And so to start this off, we um, approached uh, footballers to donate 1% of their salary to the Common Goal Fund, which was then reinvested in programs that these organizations run. Just a bit of an aside, Alex Brosk was the first Common Goaler for Australia. We now have something like seven or eight women footballers, and hats off to Alex Chidiak and Avi Luik, who were the first two women out of the women footballers in Australia. But what's cool about it is it's growing. It's not just about footballers. It's um, we now have football clubs who give one percent of their rev of their um, gate receipts to come and go. We have the CEO of UEFA uh, football is a come and go. Uh, participant contri contributor we have some agents we have I mean it's open to anybody within the world of football and the proceeds go back to support signature projects like the um, global goal five gender equity accelerator project others P football for peace social enterprise others and um, it, it, it we want it to be a movement and so the idea is we amass more and more people engaging in the common goal of football for good. And the more people from the industry we can get on board. Oh yeah, Adidas, you may have seen in the news. Adidas has um, 
is donating 1% of all the World Cup ball sales this year to Common Goal. You know, I mean, it, it, it's absolutely extraordinary. And the, the, the purpose is to bring it all together and to bring football together so that we don't have just little, not little, but we don't have this alternative it's movement. It's, it's yes. Yeah, all, all together. Who decides which programs it goes to? So that's a really cool <laughs> thing. So <laughs> the, common, like the hardest part. <laughs> the contributors decide whether they want to give it to a certain program. And uh, Alex Brosk gave it to Football United because he's been our ambassador since oh, okay. he started playing with Sydney um, FC. Can I mention SEN's own Alex Brosk? <laughs> <laughs> give him a plug. Yeah. There. <laughs> oh, he's amazing. He's one of the yeah. most sincere people in the world. Or the Common Goaler can give it to Common Goal to distribute to one of its many signature projects or to um, a need. And during COVID, there was a special COVID fund set up and there were funds gone going out to members who needed a, a bit of support because they lost funding due to COVID. Mm. Alex Chidiak is a wonderful example. She started by giving her funds to a thing called Moving the Goalposts. And then because of COVID, she ended up coming back to Australia and um, got in touch with us. And she's been working with us uh, ever since doing podcasts, doing this, doing that. And um, she's she's active across the world in mm. Common Goal. She's a real, she's a trailblazer. Following in your footsteps. It's, <laughs> it's such a wonderful thing when you can get uh, such a diverse range of people to come together for one Specific goal, as you say, but how about for an event? You've you've touched on the fact that you're looking at uh, an international festival for next year, and to be honest, the hosting of a World Cup, whether be it men or women, uh, is something that really should be leveraged to the hills for things like this because you are already bringing the world together. What are you hoping to do as an ancillary event? Okay, cool. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> and go. You said you said uh, the World Cup event should bring people together. So since 2006, during the Men's World Cup, there have been a football festival for good happening the last two weeks of the World Cup, wherein we bring young people from across the world together for two weeks of workshops, of fair play football tournaments, of public speaking events, all around this idea of football for good and the power of football. And as I said, we were lucky enough to go to South Africa in 2010, and that changed my life. I, I, I just can't tell you. To, the, the movie's still out there. You, you, mm. Your listeners can look it up, Passport to Hope. Anyway, in 2019, for the first time ever, a festival was held during the Women's World Cup in Lyon. When we, when we, got, the fest, we got the World Cup, I was over the moon as much as anybody else, not just because the World Cup is coming to Australia, the Women's World Cup on top of it, but because now a dream that I've had since 2010 is to have one of these festivals in Australia. So next year, we're hoping to hold a Football for Good Festival during the Women's World Cup. The difference that we're doing here in Australia is we're bringing international young leaders to Australia, and mm -hmm. they will be running a festival for Australian and New Zealand young people. And we hope to reach... 50 communities across, uh, 40 communities from Australia, 10 from New Zealand, and uh, to two weeks of workshops, of festival, and uh, tournaments in the communities in the greater Sydney area. And it's got a capacity building ele element because as a legacy, we want to see those communities have the capacity to run football for good programs in their communities. So that's a real legacy objective from your own 
project, isn't it, for even that's expanding on uh, the, yeah. the legacy item for, for football in general. What do you need to make it happen, Anne? What, what, do you, what are we looking at? Are we looking at sponsors, supporters, uh, facilitators, or just cold hard cash? All of the above. <laughs> All of the above. We need a place to lodge these young people. We have a place in mind that would be ideal, and we're hoping to make some inroads on that. We definitely need a cold hard cash because mm. we have to pay the, the the lodging costs. We have to pay our our coaches, our facilitators. We have to set it up. We we would love anybody who's passionate about the power of football to change the world to come on board because we need a lot of help. We've got a wonderful international team. We really want to engage with Football Australia, Football New Zealand with this. We want this to bring football together as well. So yeah, all of the above. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing project. Does it ever daunt you? I mean, you don't sound like you're someone that's ever daunted by anything. But do you just look at the scale of what you're hoping to do and think, wow. Every single day. <laughs> Every single when you day. you watch your movies. <laughs> um, I have nightmares about it, actually, because I believe in this. And I, I can't accept that we have an opportunity in Australia to do this and that we can't make it happen because it does change lives. It changes lives so much in so many ways and I can share oodles of everything about it and like I said, go look at our video clips. We have a song called Field of Dreams and it's just extraordinary. The power is there and to not have this happen, we will do something. Mm. We may not do my big giant dream because I dream big, but we will do something. And I've never made a sense on Football United since I started. If that has to keep going so we can make it happen, it will happen. I don't know. Well, we ran a festival in 2015 called the Dream Asia Festival for 350 young kids from around the Sydney area. But this takes things to a different level. This takes things to capacity building workshops. We have four themes. We have climate action, employability, gender equity and empowerment, and health and well-being. And those are all infused in the workshops. It's building capacity to do this beyond mm. the mm. festival, beyond the World Cup. So, I mean, I think we have a responsibility to do something like this, and something will have to happen. I, I can't accept it doesn't. Uh, I just want to perhaps wrap up by asking how you find the people you work with. How do you find the people that are enthusiastic and as motivated as, as you are? Because I, I've met a couple of the people you work with there and they just, they just blow your mind. Well, like I said, for our particular programs, um, most of the people come from within the programs now. Mm. I mean, the wonderful Asma Halal, she started yeah. out as an intern from Western Sydney with us. And I saw how amazing she was, and I, I, I asked a partner she was working with, I said, are you going to hire her when she graduates? <laughs> and he said, oh, we can't, we don't have money. And I went and found the money because she's amazing. But internationally, it's like with any network. You meet people who are doing the same things you're doing, who believe like you believe. And my very best friends in the world are all from this network. And we adore each other, and we work hard, and we have fun, too, you know? It is fun, too. It's not just all about the intensity. And that, I think, makes it also um, effective. It is. It makes it very effective. And uh, creating that change, as, as you said, we live in a world at the moment where you lurch from one horrific moment of civil unrest into a war into another country and so on and so on. And it seems like these horrible events uh, just don't cease. The, the more we learn, it doesn't help us to become better human beings. But what you do and what people like you do is put smiles back on the faces of people who are affected by that. What is it that makes you the happiest about doing it? 
Exactly that. Just when I see kids who, for whatever reason, haven't had it easy, have it tough, are a bit lost, or are you know coming from a traumatic background, or whatever, when I see those kids change, that's what makes it all worthwhile. That's why I do it. And I feel I was born in a very lucky, fortunate environment. I did nothing to deserve that. I want every single person in this world to know joy and happiness that I know because I'm it because it's so amazing. So that's my overall goal. And you light up the world and we thank you so much in the midst of what is always a crazy schedule for you. Thank you for taking the time to be our trailblazer today and all the very best with everything that's still to come. Thanks for the opportunity. I love it.